Dr. David Perlmutter and welcome to The Empowering Neurologist. Today I'm going to talk to my longtime friend Dr. David Brady. Uh, Dr. Brady has a new book out called The Fibro Fix, talking about fibromyalgia. We're going to explore what that means, what fibromyalgia is all about, how it's treated and perhaps how it shouldn't be treated. Uh, Dr. Brady has been an integrative practitioner for well over 25 years. Uh, he has, uh, is a licensed a naturopath uh, in Connecticut and Vermont. He's also uh, board certified in clinical nutrition. Uh, Dr. Brady completed his initial uh, clinical training as a doctor of chiropractic. So he has a wide range of experiences that he brings to bear uh, in uh, his current uh, therapeutic model. He currently serves as vice president for health sciences, uh, director of the Human Nutrition Institute, and associate professor of clinical sciences at the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut. He maintains a private practice called Whole Body Medicine uh, up in Fairfield, Connecticut. Uh, he's published a multitude of peer-reviewed scientific papers and uh, is involved in writing various uh, chapters in various textbooks, including uh, one chapter in Advancing Medicine with Food and Nutrients, uh, and also writing in Integrative Gastroenterology, a book that was edited by uh, Dr. Uh, Gerald Gerard Mullen, who has been a guest on this program as well. Again, uh, we're going to be talking about Fibrofix, which is a book about fibromyalgia. And uh, having heard Dr. Brady lecture on a number of occasions, I think you're in for a really in-depth exploration of what this is all about. Well, hello, Dr. Brady. Welcome to the show. Hello, Dr. Perlmutter. Thanks for having me on your show. We sound so formal. Uh, but that said, <laughs> uh, let's move ahead. Today, we're going to be talking about fibromyalgia. And I would say that, you know, hope that you'll define it, and you will, of course. But, um, you know, I, I was going to say, well, that might be something not very many of our viewers are aware of. But I've come to realize that, in fact, this is a really big problem. There are a lot of people involved. Any idea of the scope of this issue? Yeah, I mean, it's a major problem. Chronic pain is a major problem, and we see an opioid epidemic and all of that going through the country. But uh, there's a subset of those chronic pain patients that are uh, what we would consider global pain uh, patients that have what would probably be categorized as fibromyalgia. And I personally think they're some of the most underserved pain patients, uh, and partly because I think uh, you know, medical providers, healthcare providers of all types, I don't think have really come to grips with it. I don't think they've been trained adequately on it. I think it's uh, misdiagnosed a lot. And therefore, I, I think a lot of people just don't get directed to the right kind of treatments that are, uh, that are impactful for them. Uh, and they often get put on treatments that have really no hope of helping them. So hopefully we'll explore some of those things today. But, you know, we're talking tens of millions of people in the United States alone, if you look at the epidemiology that, you know, that's currently in the literature. Many more, uh, obviously, there was a it's time, a worldwide uh, situation. Way back when, when um, we would be making diagnoses of fibromyalgia, and yet mainstream medicine told us it didn't exist. There were uh, wonderful articles, wonderful, I use it advisedly, yeah, in peer-reviewed right. journals saying that, you know, these women are depressed, uh, and there's, uh, this isn't an entity. Suddenly, when a drug received FDA approval for the treatment of fibromyalgia, it became a thing. And you know, enter the insurance lexicon, the DSM lexicon, and so uh, you know. That said, what are we dealing with? I mean, there are a lot of things that sort of look like fibromyalgia, but walk us through what this is all about. 
Sure. And you're exactly right on the history. I mean, um, even, you know, when I initially trained before medical school and I went to chiropractic school first, that back in the late 80s, uh, fibromyalgia was, you know, considered one of these syndromes and a lot of people didn't think it existed, particularly the physicians that had trained uh, prior. Uh, and it was it was really talked about in very... Um, you know, condescending ways that, you know, and, and, you know, that it was a wastebasket diagnosis. It didn't really exist as an individual clinical entity. Uh, researchers didn't really want to research it. It was sort of the wasteland to go into if you were a serious researcher. And that kind of did all change in the late 80s. And actually in 1987, it received, received its first ICD-9 code, which meant it was a reimbursable, uh, you know, disorder uh, that you can have a, a, a a patient encounter and actually get uh, paid to see somebody with it. But it still didn't improve the treatment uh, very well or the understanding of the disorder. And I certainly uh, felt like when I got out of my initial training and started seeing these patients, I realized very quickly I was way in over my head. I wasn't trained how to deal with them. Uh, what I was taught uh, about it was was not very much. And it comes to I come to find out now it was actually what I was told was wrong. Uh, and I don't think that that got much better as I continued to go on in, in my schooling, whether in uh, clinical training and residency or in medical school. I, I didn't get trained much on this at all. And I don't think if if I did find sort of the functional medicine paradigm, I don't think I would have ever been able to really piece this all together um, the way that I have over many, many years, seeing a lot of patients with this and, and really, uh, you know, reading everything that would come out in the medical literature, every, every peer-reviewed journal paper, every new, you know, diagnostic criteria, every textbook chapter. Um, but, and then I started publishing myself and doing research myself and becoming one of those experts, if, you know, to, to, at least to my small little degree that I could contribute. Um, and part of that was really to try to uh, educate some of my, my peers, some of, some of the healthcare providers on how to understand this better, how to make this not such a point of frustration in practice. Because, you know, most doctors, if they will speak candidly with you, will say, if someone comes in and they're front desk staff says, well, you have a patient waiting in room uh, five uh, with fibromyalgia. They're probably going to themselves, at least with their inner di dialogue, it's, oh, no, right? Yeah. Not another one of those, you know, because they're thought of as very problematic patients. They're thought of as um, patients that are very frustrating because nothing works very well that's in the normal sort of uh, protocols, if you will. Um, and I found that I really wasn't getting much traction doing that, and that's what finally prompted me to sort of write my new book, which is to bring the story to the streets, if you will, right, to the people who actually have the disorder or may think they have the disorder for some reason, to educate them to kind of be their own self-advocate, to, to learn enough about it to know if they're getting uh, the right kind of workup and the right kind of potential treatments. Um, but so, I'm going to say, unlike uh, having migraine headaches or uh, carpal tunnel syndrome or some unique thing that's really fairly well defined. Uh, fibromyalgia has a kind of throws a wide net in terms of its clinical manifestations. Tell us if you can about that. Yeah, it does. You know, and 
what complicates it, I think, is that the, the sort of constellation or range of symptoms that are common in a fibromyalgic patient, things like profound persistent fatigue and body ache, um, uh, vague gastrointestinal problems, things that might be called IBS if you looked at them in isolation, uh, insomnia, unrefreshed sleep, uh, anxiety disorder, um, things like brain fog. I mean, these are, as we know as functional medicine doctors, these are not uncommon symptoms. Uh, and it's not uncommon for them to sort of cluster in the same patient that doesn't have fibromyalgia, that has other metabolic issues, endocrine issues, whatever they may be. But if they occur in a, let's say, a middle-aged female and they go to their family physician, uh, they're likely to get a diagnosis of fibromyalgia because they, they check all those boxes, right? And they don't have a very discrete diagnosable disease that those doctors are used to dealing with. So they look at all these different symptoms and just go, oh, well, you have fibromyalgia. And when you look at the diagnostic criteria, there is a formal diagnostic criteria for fibromyalgia, and there has been since 1991, I believe, 1990-1991, the American College of Rheumatology put out their first diagnostic criteria. It was modified significantly in 2010, revised again in 2011, and they just released a brand new one. So there definitely is sort of rules of the game on how to diagnose it. But uh, in my opinion, the diagnostic criteria, even in their latest iteration, are uh, not very uh, not very good at, at separating people who have a myriad of different real problems or, or causes for their constellation of symptoms uh, from those who really have fibromyalgia. And the ones that, when I, when I say really have fibromyalgia, I mean they have the classic fibromyalgia that the literature is really talking about. And this involves, firstly, something called global pain. And by global pain, we mean it's everywhere. It, the, it's, a, it's really a central nervous system brain interpretive problem. So it's a pain processing disorder that doesn't discriminate on area of the body. So if someone comes in and says, you know, doc, I hurt all over, and I start questioning them or having them show me where, point to where, and I start doing an exam, and I find out that they really hurt, you know, in their neck and their upper shoulders, and they hurt in their pelvic or lumbar area, or they hurt in a few different places, they may interpret that as, as hurting everywhere. But in fibromyalgia, they truly have to perceive uh, some level of pain to stimuli like pressure um, or squeezing of the musculature uh, everywhere in, in a way that's not normal, uh, where a normal person would perceive it as pressure or squeezing, they perceive it as pain or a deep achiness. And it's mainly in the softer tissues or the compliant tissues, hence the name fibromyalgia, right? Fibro, fibrous compliant tissues, myo, muscle, and algae, you know, pain. Um, it's not a joint issue. It's not a joint pain issue. So a lot of people come in and say, I have fibromyalgia. Well, where do you hurt? Well, my knees, my hips, my, that's not, I, we start looking for more inflammatory arthritis or more sort of a musculoskeletal condition, but you have to have global pain, number one. And virtually 100% of these subjects also have profound persistent levels of fatigue. Um, they don't sleep very well, and uh, they may sleep a long time, but they don't get quality sleep. They don't go through all the normal progressive stages of sleep, and they don't go into stage three and four deep delta wave sleep, which is the restorative regenerative sleep. So they wake up feeling like 
they never slept. They sleep for 12 hours and they wake up feeling like they never went to sleep. Well, right off the bat, that kind of opens the door uh, to a multi-modality kind of approach. You know, hey, let's help these people sleep better. Let's get a sleep study if they have sleep apnea, if they have obstructive sleep apnea, whatever it may be. I mean, it seems to me, certainly with respect to the brain fog issues and the generalized fatigue, that could be a real important first step. Oh, it absolutely is. And the reason uh, I mention that is because with all due respect in mainstream medicine, if you say fibromyalgia, mainstream medicine has a pill for that. Here's yeah. the pill, FDA approved to treat fibromyalgia. And it's it, beyond myopic. I mean, it doesn't address exactly what you've been talking about, that this is a you know wide ranging uh, uh, situation involving multiple systems and one magic pill isn't gonna fix all that stuff. You're exactly right. I mean, it, it really is a central sensitivity disorder that is is manifested deep in the nervous system, which has spillover to so many different systems. That's why there's so many different symptoms. So it's not a muscle problem. If you ask most doctors, what's fibromyalgia? Oh, it's a muscle problem. No, it's not. I mean, muscles don't cause anxiety and depression and IBS and, you know, all these other things. It just happens to be that you perceive the achiness or the painfulness mainly in the musculature or the soft tissues, but that's not where the problem is. And when you bring up the drug therapy, it's really interesting to look at that history because you know there's never been a drug developed to treat fibromyalgia from the ground up these are repurposed drugs so the seizure three medications yes yeah the three approved ones one is you know is an alpha 2 delta ligand anti seizure medication the other um, two are in uh, they're antidepressant uh, depressives in the SSNRI class and they were never meant to really treat this disorder they just were drugs that were used sort of as an attempt off label to treat some of these patients and seemed to work and then they went through a sort of a rebranding and a reapproval process of the drug, but but to be clear, they're treating symptoms. They're not they, treating they fibromyalgia. Yeah. Well, you know, in in carefully selected patients that really do have a central pain processing disorder, some of those medications, particularly the SSNRIs, in my experience, can be helpful because there is a serotonergic oh, component. Oh, I'm, I'm not saying they're not helpful, but I'm saying they're looking at the smoke and not the fire. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know what that goes back to, what you originally said, which is sleep. And, you know, the first use of an antidepressive that I can see in the in the literature to treat what we would call fibromyalgia goes back to a guy named Harvey Moldovsky at the University of Toronto. And he was a sleep specialist. So he was taking some of these patients diagnosed with fibromyalgia and realizing, you know, a big part of their problem is they're just not getting restorative sleep. And anyone's going to feel like they got hit by a train if they never get restorative sleep. So he put him in sleep labs and he was the first one to establish that they weren't going into this deep delta wave sleep. And they, they had a very specific type of sleep dysfunction called alpha wave intrusion during delta wave sleep. Uh, and so he tried to treat that with uh, amitriptyline or, you know, tricyclic antidepressants, which are older class antidepressants, to try to help them sleep because they knew that that helped people get into deeper stages of sleep. And it did help some of the some of those subjects sleep, but it also, they reported less depression, less pain. So it sort of became the off-label use of those drugs. And as you know, uh, variations of those drugs and repackaging of those drugs have gone on to be used in neurology and pain syndromes of, of many types since. So it's an interesting connection back to the sleep thing. But what he, he didn't only show that these patients with global pain or allodynia 
had the sleep dysfunction. He went the next step. He actually took subjects who volunteered. They were medical students, of course. You know, they'll volunteer for anything. And he actually deprived them of sleep, and he monitored them. And not only did he get them to develop sort of uh, a sleep dysfunction, but he actually got them to become uh, more hyper-responsive to stimuli and allodynic, basically, he, he got the, he changed their pain perception by simply depriving them of sleep, which was inter- interesting. So, um, you know, getting back to this then sort of dichotomy between a functional medicine approach to this problem, which is multifaceted, and simply giving a drug, be it a sleeping pill or more recently, uh, basically a seizure medication. Um, you know, you, you talk about sleep uh, in your book. You talk about diet. And ultimately, I think much of the entrance point to the various modalities is enhancing mitochondrial function. So it looks as if mitochondria are playing a very, not only a critical role here, but also a a wonderful opportunity, as you talk about in the book, uh, for enhancing their function and thereby getting good clinical response in these individuals. Yeah, you know, as both of us appreciate being functional medicine physicians, uh, you know, mitochondrial uh, problems are, are, are play a role in a lot of chronic diseases. In fact, you might argue most of them. Um, and I think there is certainly a place to try to not only test but optimize mitochondrial function and energy biochemistry and so forth in these patients. Um, I, I'm not of the opinion, though, like some functional medicine doctors have asserted, that fibromyalgia is just a mitochondrial disorder. It it doesn't prove out that way. Um, When you look at some of the metabolic studies, uh, biopsy studies, and so forth of of the muscle tissue, uh, it just doesn't seem to prove out that way. It is true that a lot of people who have what we would diagnose as fibromyalgia don't have optimal energy metabolism. And if you look at them closely enough or you look at organic acid analysis and things like that and, and metabolites, um, you know, that they leave a little to be desired in their energy metabolism. And by optimizing that, you can help improve them, particularly with their level of uh, energy. It doesn't seem to be the whole picture and it doesn't explain some of the other things but it's a definitely important component that we definitely address uh, and it's something that we need to rule out I've had patients who've come in and said you know I have fibromyalgia been diagnosed with fibromyalgia been put on Lyrica and when we work them up part of the workup certainly was looking at mitochondrial function organic acid analysis and we basically got them entirely resolved by just addressing their mitochondrial concerns uh, whether it's you know uh, cleaning up toxins that were derailing their mitochondria, optimizing their thyroid function a little bit to drive those metabolic processes, but things like CoQ10 and ribose and all the things that we use to to, uh, push mitochondrial function can be very helpful in a lot of those patients. But I I, I certainly have not experienced that it's sort of the, the thing that makes them all better, you know. Well, I want for our viewers to just take a moment here and get your arms around what Dr. Brady was just talking about, and that is there is not a prescriptive singular event here that brings about the cure of fibromyalgia. Again, it requires a bit of a web of interacting uh, involvement here uh, to ultimately turn patients around. Looking at sleep, uh, which obviously has a role to play in terms of mitochondrial function, looking at diet, which has a role to play obviously in mitochondrial function as well, Uh, but well beyond mitochondria, that there may even be a place for pharmaceuticals here as 
a placeholder until uh, patients begin to recover on their own because, you know, the truth of the matter is there is some efficacy of the, uh, of the pharmaceuticals. Although they don't cure the underlying problem, they make life a bit more manageable. And I don't think anyone would out of hand or should out of hand reject the notion that there might be some utility in terms of the pharmaceuticals that are fairly effective. I wouldn't say they're dramatically effective. No, and what's interesting, David, is the ones that are approved, I don't think are the most effective ones. Um, and I, I Rand did a, a study on, uh, you know, subjects with fibromyalgia that were treated with the two approved classes, either the anti-seizures or the uh, SSNRIs specifically. And they found that, you know, uh, Subjects who had statistically, you know, significant improvements in functionality and symptoms and so forth were less than 50%, which is, you know, less than a coin toss, of course. And, uh, and those who did have a beneficial effect, the beneficial effects tend to, tended to decay in a lot of them over several months. But if they had side effects from them, and there's a lot of side effects of those drugs that are possible, they did not tend to abate over time. So um, they're not panaceas, uh, but other medications such as low-dose naltrexone um, and even uh, low-dose benzos uh, used right um, and, and very cautiously can be uh, helpful in some of those patients. But I actually find that using uh, nutraceuticals, uh, precursor therapy with specific amino acids like 5-hydroxytryptophan, for instance, uh, a lot of um, sort of gabinergic botanical um, uh, interventions, uh, calming, you know, neurotransmitter precursors, even a fermented GABA, things like that can be, if you get them just right and balance the person's neurochemistry a little bit while you're working on all the other stuff, right? Because a lot of these patients, um, have a history of significant stress, uh, and many of them, and the literature is pretty clear on this, um, an inordinate number of them versus, you know, people without fibromyalgia have very significant stressful childhood or upbringing sort of environments. They have adverse childhood events like uh, as they label them. Many of them came up in very tumultuous uh, upbringings, you know, children of, of bad divorces, maybe a substance abusing authoritarian sort of parent, um, one where maybe the father was abusing the mother or maybe verbally or physically or even sexually abusing um, uh, the child. Um, those things are reported in a much higher percentage in women, particularly not males necessarily, but women who go on to develop in later life, things like fibromyalgia, but other hypervigilance sort of central sensitivity uh, related disorders like irritable bowel syndrome, general anxiety disorder, insomnia. Uh, and in fibromyalgia, that person tends to have all of those things all wrapped up in one. Well, many of the things that you just mentioned, interestingly, uh, relate back to the microbiome, uh, specifically gut bacteria. As you're talking about GABAergic transmission, you're talking yep. about uh, serotonin, having mentioned tryptophan, and having mentioned early life stress, raising the set point of cortisol, which has an effect on gut permeability, also having an effect on the diversity or lack thereof of, of gut organisms uh, that ultimately are involved in sort of regulating immunity and uh, inflammation in the body and do have uh, downstream effects on mitochondrial function throughout the body, uh, regulating even things as far as the blood-brain barrier permeability. So I think that um, as we move forward, if we look through the lens of the microbiome uh, for opportunities in fibromyalgia, I think we're going to find uh, that we'll be rewarded. I mean, this is 
you know, ultimately a great place to start when we see a large panorama of manifestations that ultimately fall under one roof that we name. Uh, when we t take a step back and look at the microbiome, it, it does tend to oftentimes open up a lot of doors. I mean, classically, fibromyalgia patients, as you mentioned, have a lot of GI issues going on. They have depression, which we know ultimately is an inflammatory disorder and therefore gut-related. So I think, you know, you have wonderful dietary recommendations in your book, and I'd say that the effectiveness uh, as part of a program might well be because of the changes that it is... Uh, leading to in terms of the diversity and the expression of the metabolites of the gut bacteria. Yeah, that's a that's a big part of it and of course that's a hallmark of functional medicine and um and we're we're being proved more right every day, right? And uh the micro uh you know re research into the microbiome and the GI microbiota specifically, especially with association studies as as progressed and now into causality um in, in things like autoimmunity and inflammatory arthropathies and, and in cardiovascular disease and diabetes and so forth, uh, fibromyalgia global pain syndromes is lagging a little bit behind with the emergence of that literature, but I'm sure uh, it will be coming out fast and furious. And you've helped really move the dial on that with a lot of your work and your books on the gut-brain connection. And something that I thought of you immediately when I saw the study was that even though fibromyalgia is not what would be classified as an overtly inflammatory disorder. So patients with fibromyalgia, they don't have generally, unless there's another cause for it, they don't have elevated C-reactive proteins and SED rates and all those types of things. But what they find is they have inflammation deep in the brain. They have microglial activation, and that very well may be due to the gut-brain access causing that. And uh, it was a paper published out of Mass General, actually, on activation of the microglia in these global pain patients, and that it might explain sort of that deep-seated brain pain or brain dysfunction that's going on. It's, and it's just starting to emerge, but I think that's going to accelerate. And in functional medicine, we sort of address those things um, as a foundational element, right? We're, we're looking at the microbiota, we're looking at the gut and permeability issues and, and mitochondrial function, and we're looking at things like thyroid function in a much more granular way than maybe other conventional uh, physician might look at it. And by dialing those things in and, and optimizing those things, I think we just get a lot more traction inherently in a complex chronic disorder like this than if you just throw a drug or two at it. it it's just a mono-targeted, you know, heavy latching on ligand on one pathway is not going to get you there in this kind of disorder. Many years ago, my grandmother, when she uh, drove, uh, when the lights would go on in the car that told you that the oil was low or something, yeah. her solution yeah. was to take a Band-Aid and cover the light, and then yeah. the problem seemed to go away. So yeah. I, I hear you on you know, the exclusive pharmaceutical management of this disorder. You mentioned autoimmunity, and I know that you are clearly an expert in that area. Uh, is there an autoimmune component for this issue? Um, you know, autoimmune conditions are a big point of differential diagnostic error with fibromyalgia. So there are a lot of patients that come in and, you know, they, they hurt all over, they're tired, they have a lot of gut problems. And if you really work them up, you find out that they don't have a global pain perception issue. They don't have a hypervigilant central sensitivity issue. They have an inflammatory connective tissue disorder or they have, you know, an inflammatory arthropathy or something like that, or they have lupus or something. MS, I've even seen patients come in being 
misdiagnosed, uh, particularly in the earlier stages. And uh, so it's a definitely a confusion point. There's not a lot to latch you know, true pain processing, central sensitivity disorders, fibromyalgia, uh, to autoimmunity right now. I would not be surprised if that emerges, particularly with, you know, some of the things coming to light with microglia inflammation and, and things such as that. But it's not behaving typically like we see other classic autoimmune disorders. Um, and that's, that's a confusion point with doctors, because if you ask most doctors what fibromyalgia is, they'll tell you it's overtly inflammatory and it's a muscle disorder. And it's, it's sort of wrong on, on both, uh, both accounts, unfortunately. Right, hence it doesn't respond very well to steroids. What about malpermeability? Uh, bowel permeability is extremely common in these patients, as is, you know, almost virtually 100% of them meet the criteria for irritable bowel syndrome. Okay, most of them constipation dominant sort of IBS, but I, I see it both ways and I see it variable, but much more commonly with constipation. But interestingly enough, you mentioned the microbiota and things there, uh, Pimentel and Mullen and others, uh, and I wrote a chapter in, in Dr. Mullen's um, uh integrative gastroenterology book on the connection between fibromyalgia, uh, IBS, and small intestinal uh, bacterial overgrowth. Many of them have what would be you know, classified as SIBO as well. So clearly, there's a lot of dysbiosis, a lot of bowel permeability issues that are in the mix in these central sensitivity disorders. So for our viewers, uh, I would urge you to uh, go through the files, the archives, and go back uh, to Dr. Mullen's um, interview. Uh, he, he talks quite a bit about inflammation in the microbiome and, and things that we can do to improve the situation. One of the things that's great about your book, you know, we've had a kind of intense bit of scientific conversation here, discourse. Uh, but that said, I want just to be certain that uh, the viewers understand that that's not the book. The book is really right. uh, written so everybody can understand it. Um, right. You know, sometimes I think on the show we get a little carried away because I get really interested in what my guests are saying. <laughs> I know. Like, I hear you. It's great. I get it. Uh, but yep. the book isn't written that way. So again, no. here is, uh, you know, for all of the viewers, The Fibrofix, a great book. And there's great information here that is actionable and uh, empowering. So I urge uh, our viewers to get hold of the book and read it. Well, so yeah, you're, uh, what's you're... your next book about? Uh, I'm still Don't recovering. Love from, that question. <laughs> I'm still recovering from this one and the summit and everything else. So ask me in a, another six months, but uh, I'm sure there'll be another one coming. But this this one was a, a particular uh, work of uh, of passion for me because uh, you're right. As we descended into our conversation, we tend to start talking to each other deep you in the what? weeds. It's our moment. We're entitled. And I think there's right. plenty of people out there who get a lot out of it and. Uh, and if not, but, that's what the book's all about. That's the point I'm trying to make. But I wrote the book to try to take that knowledge and information and experience, frankly, over a couple of decades of dealing with these patients more from a, you know, through a functional medicine lens or paradigm, but understanding all of the things emerging in the conventional uh, medical literature and what's going on in the conventional medical management of it. Um, and, you know, I've written medical papers and textbook chapters that are all deep in the weeds and mechanistic and all that, but the book wasn't that. It was meant to bring um, that understanding um, and put it in a way that the average person who might think they have it or maybe have a loved one who think they have it and could read it and find out, well, what is this fibromyalgia thing? What is it all about? What is it? What is it not? And have um, a little compassion. 
yeah, a little compassion, why, how it's so mismanaged medically, how patients are discounted, and I think sometimes, unfortunately, abused in the process, how to become educated enough about it where you probably will know more than the average doctor about it uh, by the time you're done with the book, but it's not meant to try to make you a doctor, um, but it's meant to give you actionable steps that you can try on your own to start reversing this, which include not only biochemical interventions, whether it's dietary changes uh, to lower, you know, to improve your metabolism and energy fun uh, metabolism, but lower inflammation and things like that, um, but um, not only just bio biochemical things with various, you know, supplements you can try or different precursor things you can try, but uh, movement, uh, stress mitigation using different types of home cognitive behavioral therapies. Uh, they're all really, really important to calm the mind that's in a hypervigilant state, but also to fundamentally help the reader answer the question, is it really likely that I have this thing, fibromyalgia, or is it likely that I have one of the myriad of things that gets misdiagnosed as fibromyalgia? And maybe I'm on Lyrica or, or something for all the wrong reasons, and I really need a different approach. And we, I actually broke it into different common masqueraders or categories or what we call buckets in the book. So some of the major, you know, um, confusion points are various actual medical, discrete medical Organic medical conditions, whether one or more than one ganging up on you, that can be causing your symptoms. How to, how to find out if it might be one of those. Then there's the functional disorders, things that we were talking about, mitochondrial dysfunction, suboptimal thyroid function that's not getting on the radar of your, um, of your physician, um, nutritional deficiencies, gut permeability, toxicity issues, all of those. And then finally, the other big bucket is actual structural musculoskeletal problems, myofascial pain syndrome, and different types of um, pain syndromes created by truly problems out in the somatic tissues. And that that is another point of confusion with healthcare providers. I talk to, you know, chiropractors, massage therapists, physical therapists, uh, uh, physiatrists, even um, various types of body workers, acupuncturists, and most of them say, oh, I treat fibromyalgia all the time. I have, I have the treatment that helps with that, you know, almost foolproof. And I would, I challenge them to, to think, well, maybe you're getting a lot, I'm sure you're getting a lot of patients better and you're helping a lot of people, but I would, I would challenge you to, to ask yourself, are you really getting the people that truly have central pain processing disorders better? Or are you treating those patients that really have myofascial pain syndrome, different somatic structural issues that are mislabeled as fibromyalgia patients and you're getting them better so you're assuming you're fixing fibromyalgia when I think that generally it's not fixed, if you will, by, by physical medicine, by hands-on medicine. That can be an important component to helping people through it, getting better. But I really think the treatment has to be multifactorial and has to involve that central sort of central nervous system um, um, treatment approach, whether it's biochemical. Yeah, I think it's, you know, there are plenty of people who say, I treat fibromyalgia, and my challenge to them right off the bat is, uh, I say, no, I, I treat patients, and, right, uh, right. you know, I, I don't want to develop a, a recipe-driven uh, approach to a disease entity. Uh, and forget the nuances of the individual patient, uh, because when you when you pay more attention to the patient uh, as opposed to the disease, you get much more um, effectiveness because you're dealing with the way that that problem might be manifesting in that individual. And like you say, 
uh, there may well be an underlying uh, hypothyroidism or other issue or, uh, you know, or even something structural that yeah. may be acting as a nidus or a trigger point or cofactor co in the whole ball of wax. And so if you don't take a step back and look at the whole patient, you're not going to really make great success, make uh, great progress. No, and I think functional medicine doctors, based on how they think and the paradigm they use, are more likely to go through that process of using a multi-factoral you know, factoral kind of look at it, um, widening the lens a bit. But, you know, I, I've even seen uh, functional medicine doctors and people who are integrative medicine, you know, get a little bit too, uh, you know, agenda-driven on fibromyalgia. And this is what I do for fibromyalgia patients. And, you know, you don't, when a patient comes in and tells me they have fibromyalgia, I say, okay, and, and they very well may be right, but I don't take that for granted. I, I, it, is a di it, it is still a diagnosis of, diagnosis of exclusion. You have to rule out a lot of things before I would ever agree to that label on somebody. And unfortunately, that's generally not done very well. Yeah. I've had patients from academic centers of excellence in the rheumatology department uh, diagnosed patients with fibromyalgia. They didn't, didn't even have basic laboratory workup done to rule out inflammatory conditions and autoimmune connective tissue disorders and thyroid function. Well, you know, unlike those issues, unlike the hypothyroidism or the autoimmune conditions, there isn't a lab test that says, ah, you have right. Lyme disease, you have blank. You know, it, it's not like that. It's nope. clinical acumen to put the pieces together and like you say, exclude what I would say are the simpler issues uh, in terms of treatment and understanding that have been around, that at least we've understood for a lot longer. Right, right, exactly. Uh, yeah, you're exactly right. There's no fibromyalgia factor test, right? It would be great if we had a binary referendum on that, but we don't. But we have a lot of useful things, even in conventional laboratory, to rule out other things um, that are common masqueraders of fibromyalgia. And then more in the functional metabolic testing realm, there are very, very useful things. You know, I mentioned organic acid testing, uh, microbiome testing. I mean, there's a lot of different ways we can go. Uh, different, you know, there's, there's still challenges in having great ways to look at neurotransmitter uh, levels and function, you know, going you know, at least central action of those things. It's, it's a bit of a challenge, as you know, but uh, we have some things that can help us guide us a little bit in that regard. But you really have to go in without an agenda and look at each patient for what they are. You know, um, uh, one of the ex world experts in fibromyalgia, rheumatologist um, by the name of Fitch Charles, uh, did a, a a really nice study, and it's been repeated by other groups and sort of uh, the, the same kind of conclusions. But in the Fitzcharles study, they took patients who were diagnosed by physicians with fibromyalgia, uh, and it was generally by either family physicians, internal medicine docs, and some rheumatologists. And then they sent those uh, patients who were, who were referred to rheumatology consult to an expert panel of rheumatologists highly trained in fibromyalgia specifically, and they agreed with the initial diagnosis of fibromyalgia only 66 uh, or 33 wow. percent of the time. 66 percent were misdiagnosed, wow. and that was diagnosis by doctor. A lot of these patients come in saying they have fibromyalgia because their neighbor told them or they did a web search. So you can imagine the numbers get even worse. And it's all about empowerment as it relates to a situation like this. I mean, it's not a straightforward, easy peasy kind of, uh, you have this, take this uh, experience. It is complex. complex. And uh, again, the great thing about your book is it is knowledge and uh, as such, it's empowering for patients to really become, you know, their self-advocates uh, in, in terms of 
the diagnosis and in terms of what happens moving forward. So let me thank you for uh, joining us today. What an uh, incredible conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you, David. I really appreciate it. And thanks for all the work you do. Thanks. You make it easy. You make it easier for all of us other docs out there. <laughs> You're very kind. Well, we'll talk soon, David. I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple of months. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, that was uh, a very, as I promised, an in-depth uh, exploration. Uh, Dr. Brady, as you see, is a wealth of knowledge and really looks upon uh, this notion of fibromyalgia from a very uh, broad, per taking a very broad perspective on it, and as such, his therapeutic approach is one that gets involved in looking at multiple modalities uh, to treating this uh, very uh, common disorder uh, well away from just simply giving people a prescription for a particular drug which might help the symptoms but it really isn't targeting the underlying problem. So again here's the book Fibrofix, The Fibrofix, uh, available everywhere. And while our discussion, as I mentioned, might have been a little bit intense and scientific, uh, many of you, I think, will probably enjoy that. Uh, but I will uh, guarantee you that the book is certainly easy to understand and very, very user-friendly in terms of giving you a lot of actionable points. So I hope you enjoyed our interview today. I'm Dr. David Perlmutter. Thanks for joining us.